Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Kicking off our series uh, today, um, and we're going to be spending the, the next few weeks on the concept of growing our hearts. And uh, if you've been around here at all, you know I love puns and play on words. And so uh, we're calling it heart of culture. And to be able to just grow our hearts to make sure we're conscious about caring for our hearts. And so uh, let's go ahead and jump into this. Because cultivating your heart is essential to life because it is the soil where every decision in life grows. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else. When Proverbs is a book of wisdom, says above all else. This is a big deal. Okay, this is a this is a big, this is one of the big foundation pieces. There's lots of good things, lots of wisdom stuff in there, but it says above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do in life flows from your heart. We just talked about we're just doing a heart thing right now. Where it says that we've decided in our hearts to give. This generosity moment should be a heart moment. Everything we do flows from it. And so the scriptures tell us to, to be conscious of our heart. To guard it. And so many times we just kind of just let life happen to it. Instead of being conscious about what is happening. And saying, no, I'm going to allow that to, to uh, impact my heart. Or I'm, I'm not going to allow that to impact my heart. And as we're getting into this concept, today we're going to be looking at some things that, that we, we need to be conscious of what's, what we're doing with our mouths. We need to be conscious about the words that we speak because that is directly correlated to the health and the state of our heart. Uh, my grandfather, um, who... Uh, when he was alive, loved to golf. He was a golf fanatic. Anybody that bought him a gift got him something golf-related. Um, he would marshal, so he would drive around on his golf cart and be out there when he got a little too old to play. And He just loved golf. He golfed so much that just the laws of probability was on his side that he didn't get just one legitimate hole-in-one. He got two hole-in-ones legitimately on the golf course and so to the point that we got him uh, a hat that says I got two hole-in-ones and his brother-in-law says my brother-in-law got two hole-in-ones and so they were golf buddies and so but he was just out there he was out there all the time and so with golf balls flying around and two of his actually miraculously landing in the hole off the drive well again the law of probabilities was on his side that at some point one of those flying balls was going to hit him and so and sure enough my grandfather got hit he had multiple stories of getting hit by a golf ball one of them he talked about that he was he tried to move away from the green and the guy hits the ball it hits my grandfather in the forehead and ends up landing on the green and my grandfather was thankful to be able to have made a difference in the guy's golf game and so it's like, he'd have overshot the hole had it not been for me. And so, and uh, anyways, he's just a big-hearted guy. And um, it was one of his stories he would tell was, was about being on the old number one tee box there in Andrews, Texas, a, a beautiful course. And um, 
Anyways, and so that sure enough that he'd tell the story, he'd say, oh, and I forget the guy's name, old Billy Bob, sure enough, on number one tee box, he, he towed it, and that ball flew along and, and hit him. And so in the first time it happened, he told us the story. And he's like, he's like you know, he, tell, he hits the ball, and would you believe that ball flies over here, and man, just hits me right in the chest, and Oh, my goodness. And he pulled his shirt to the side, and he said, oh, and I, I still got the bruise. And we're like, oh, man, Papa, that's sad, you know. You know, that ball hit you hard. And so about six months after this happened, we had an, at another family gathering, and somebody who did not know the story gets to hear the story, and Papa tells the story six months after the event on the golf course. And he tells a story just like that. He says, oh, you know, Billy Bob was on number one tee box. He hits it and toes the ball. And would you believe it flies across and bam, oh, it hit me just like that. And, and I still got the bruise. And I'm like, Papa, I think the bruise that you have right now is not the golf ball bruise. It is the you retelling the story bruise. Because he, would, he wanted to make sure everybody understood exactly how hard it hit. And, and the thing was, is I learned early on with my grandfather doing that, that what we talk about, we keep alive in us. That bruise would have healed and gone its natural way that it was supposed to go if he had not kept rehearsing it and telling it. But because he kept on talking about it, all the time and rehearsing it, in that he would re-bruise himself over and over again. And what he talked about, he kept alive. And we have to understand Luke chapter 8, verse 15, it says, But the seed, <clears throat> but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. Hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Here is he's talking about the, the seed and the soil, and the seed is the same seed. The one that produced a crop was the one that was the noble and good heart that received the seed of, of the word, and that's the one that grew. We have to keep our hearts healthy. If we want to see the seed of God's word grow in our hearts, we have to take care of our hearts. We have to make sure that it's ready to receive God's word. And then the transformation of our hearts, how we talk is an indicator and an activator for our hearts. We're all familiar with this thing that growing up, um, I was not allowed to touch. There was this thing in our house. I could touch the remote. I could touch the uh, microwave. I could touch the stove. I could touch all sorts of things. There was this thing in the hall I was not allowed to touch. And that was a thermostat. I was not allowed to touch. My daddy, you can ask him, he was like, do not touch the thermostat. And I was not allowed to touch it. I didn't understand until I started paying the electric bill why I was not allowed to touch the thermostat. And so, but I was not allowed to touch that thing. But that thermostat is a pretty cool thing because you can go to a thermostat and you can look at it and it can tell you, it can be an indicator for what the temperature is in the room. But it's not just a thermometer. A thermometer will do that. But the thermostat is wired in and has access to something that has some power to change the environment. 
And you can look at that and say, you know what? That is a little warm. 77 is a little warm. I don't want my house to be 77. I'd rather it be about 71 degrees. So you go, oh, that is too warm. So then I go to the thermostat part. So I go to the same little device and I reset and make it be able to adjust. Our words are an indicator and an activator. They're a thermometer and they're a thermostat. For both, for on both sides of the thing, for our hearts. And we need to be mindful about what is coming out of our hearts. See, Luke chapter 6, verse 45 says, A good man brings good things out of the good, where? Stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings forth evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Whenever you... Get in, into a tight situation. Whenever you get into a, a, a desperate place, whatever is in your heart is going to begin to be squeezed out and it's going to pop out of your mouth. Are we, going to, are we talking hope? Are we talking about God's word? Are we talking about what, what God has planned for us? Or are we talking doom, gloom, and destruction all the time? Is it fear that's gripping our hearts or is it faith that's gripping our hearts? And the words coming out of our mouth can be an indicator. Now, we don't have to freak out. We don't have to. All of a sudden, we just go, all right, maybe the environment there isn't what it should be. So now, I begin to use my mouth on purpose, same instrument, same tool, and now to begin to affect my heart. I see that the environment here isn't what I want it to be. Now, I begin to use the exact same instrument to begin to change the environment. Proverbs Chapter 18, verse 7 says, A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Proverbs 18, 21, a few verses later, says, The, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. It has both sides of it. We can begin to speak life, or we can begin to speak death. It has both sides. It's an indicator and an activator to our hearts, and we have to be mindful about what is happening there. We have to be mindful because the enemy understands it. The enemy understands that your tongue is connected to your heart, and he wants to be able to get it going in an unhealthy direction. I'd come across an article years ago about um, a, a group of whalers um, had, had trained a pod of killer whales to help them. Just like hunters would groom dogs to be able to go out with them and, and have their, dog, their, their dogs to go out and help them hunt. There's a group of whalers that had figured out how to get these killer whales, these wild killer whales, to help them hunt. Because they had noticed as, as they were hunting these beluga whales, and they wanted their whale blubber and they wanted all of that, that these <coughs> killer whales would come up and they, would, they were trying to pull these, these beluga whales in. And all of a sudden, these killer whales would come in and try to, and try to attack. Their, their, and they're thinking, man, they're going to take our food. And then they noticed that they immediately attacked its head and would begin to just demolish it. And what they wanted was that beluga whale's tongue. For whatever reason, that was their favorite part. So then the whalers noticed this and they began, as they would br bring in those beluga whales, they would keep the tongue and they would see a killer whale and they would chunk it overboard and they began to give use those tongues as treats 
to these killer whales. And sure enough, over a period of time, the killer whales begin to work with the whalers and use them to round them up, to hunt down and figure out where the pods of beluga whales were and begin. And they, man, they would give them all these little tasty treats that they wanted because the killer whales wanted the tongue. That was what they wanted. The enemy wants your tongue. The enemy wants that and will use every other resource at his disposal to try to begin to get you to do it. Because why? You are actively using it. That is something that you are actively doing. Everything else, things can happen to you. Somebody else pulls out in front of you. You did not do that. You did not orchestrate that. But what comes bubbling out of your mouth, you did. When somebody is unkind to you, when somebody is mean to you, when you get passed over for a promotion at work because somebody else gets the promotion, you didn't do that. You didn't do that. But what comes bubbling up out of you, what comes out of your mouth, you're actively a part of. And that is riding on your heart ten times more than the experience does. Your tongue is riding ten times more than what the experience is. And the enemy is trying to use every scenario, everything to get you to unleash this instrument that he understands the power of way more than we do. We use it flippantly. And you know what, folks? I, I'm a part of that. I, I can be as sarcastic as the rest of them. I, I, we, we pick, we're, we tease all the time. And, and in teasing, it's always saying something you don't really mean to get a rile out of somebody. We do that in our household all the time. Probably at times too much. But there's a place where, where we, we've got to begin to, to understand the power of this. And understand that there's, there's an enemy after your soul. There's a, our 30th president was a man named Calvin Coolidge. He had a nickname called Silent Cal um, because um, as if you could have a non-talking politician. I, he may have been the last one. And so uh, maybe we do need in this day and age uh, politicians that talk less and do more. And so, but uh, he was known for not talking much. 30th president, Silent Cal. Almost 100 years ago, 100 years ago during the roaring 20s. And um, anyways, he was at a dinner party. He was, that was part of the obligatory things that, that presidents have to do. And there was one of the socialite women who had attended this dinner party with the president. And she prided herself that, man, she had the gift of gab. She was charming. And she was going to be able to get the president to open up and to talk. And she sat down next to the president and she said, I bet you that I can get you to say more than two words. And Calvin Coolidge looked at her and said, you lose. He wouldn't be baited into it. He wouldn't be baited in. There was somebody who's there who wanted to activate his tongue and get him to say more than he really wanted to say and to visit more than he really wanted to visit. And, and wisely, he cut it off at the pass. Wisely, he cut it off at the pass. We have an enemy who wants to begin to get in and, and make a difference there and, and to cultivate a healthy heart, we need to speak to our hearts. Psalm 131 verse 2 says, I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart like a baby content in its mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. I've cultivated a quiet heart. I've been to be able to, for it to, to work and to be still and to content and 
and to chill out and understands the, the power of this. Job 10 verse 1 says, I loathe my very life. Job, if you know the story of Job, Job's story is, is an agonizing short period of time where he lost everything. Children, fortune, wife, physical being. He had pain and boils. He had a, it, was, it was a terrible, terrible time. And he got to the point that he hated, hated, hated his life. And he says this. He says, I loathe my life. I hate my life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. He's not loving his life. He's not trying to get his life to go in a new direction. He says, I hate it. Therefore, I'm just going to complain and I'm just going to let my, let my mouth run its course. If you don't love and care for the life that God is, is carrying you into, not the circumstances that are happening to you, but the life he's carrying you into, if you are not grabbing a hold of that, then we end up just saying, you know what? We just let our mouths go. But Psalm 42 Verse 5 says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. A thing we would also refer to as, as the heart of us. And he says, why are you so, why are you so downcast? He, he notices that there's this place of, of being heavy and weighted and, and maybe even a little depression there. He says, why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Who is he telling to put his hope, hope there, their hope in God? Himself. He's telling his heart, put your hope in God. You're getting all down. You're getting all beat up. You're getting all upset. Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him. He is talking to himself. He's like, you better put it because I'm going to praise him. We're rallying together here. I'm talking to my heart because this is what we're going to do. We're going to praise God in this deal. I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, and from Mount Mizar, which we'll get into those in a minute. But he says, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, I will yet put... I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. Verse 11 looks just like some of the verses before. It's like it's the exact same psalm. It's like, why is he saying it twice? Because guess what? Sometimes you got to address your soul more than once. Sometimes you got to speak to your heart more than once. You can't just say, well, I told me to straighten up, and I didn't. So I'll tell you what, I'm a parent. Sometimes you got to tell your kids to straighten up more than once or twice. And sometimes your heart is like a mad little two-year-old. It just is. And you're going to have to put some reins on and say, hey, no, 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 no. Here, here's how we're going to go. Just because you say, well, pastor, I tried this. I tried this. I tried to speak to my, to, my, to my heart. And I tried to do that. And it didn't work. But David does it more than once. And then when one psalm, this phrase shows up in multiple psalms. We find him at different moments in his life going back to this truth. Why are you downcast? Put your hope in God. Him speaking there. We have to understand this is part of who we are. And David didn't have the covenant we have. Didn't have the spirit of God alive in him the way we have it. We have to sometimes speak to, speak to 
our very heart. Years ago, uh, my parents were flipping a house here in San Angelo. And, um, and so Keenan was uh, seven years old, uh, thereabouts at the time. And it came time to do the roof on the house. And um, uh, me and a friend of mine had had some experience doing some roofs. And so uh, my parents uh, gave us that job as a side job, a weekend job. So I was a full-time pastor, but, you know, got some side work. And uh, so Keenan had decided he wanted to help. So I was like, all right, he's, he's seven years old, but there was a nice flat roof on the back where he could get up and be safe, and he would go up to the, to the pinnacle, to the pitch, and he would sit there, and he would hand me shingles. He would feed me shingles as I would shingle. And um, so I told him, okay, you start this job, you're going to work the whole job. And it was a multiple-day, nine-hour-a-day hot job. It was working like a, like a little man, and so and I, I was proud of him. And he'd already made his mind up on what he was going to buy. Back then, that was the, those little pools that have the blow-up ring at the top. And then you put the water in, it just kind of raises up. It has the little filter and all that. He decided he was going to buy himself a swimming pool um, because mom and dad would not buy him a swimming pool. And so he was going to work, and he was going to buy himself a swimming pool, and that was what he was going to do. And so I was like, all right, but, you know, you're getting paid, you're getting paid by the hour on this deal. So he gets up on the roof with me, and, and it's hot, and he puts in a full day, nine hours, up there the whole time I'm up there. I was so proud of him. And uh, so the next day we get up, and the fun is over. It's not exciting anymore. He's seen that roof. He's seen those shingles. And I was so proud. He gets up there, and it was hot. And I would hear him as he's sitting there. He would say, that pool is going to feel so good. Man, that pool is going to feel so good. And I was so proud of him on multiple levels because not only was he up there working, he worked the whole time, and I paid him in ones, man. He looked like he robbed a bank, man. He was like, whoo, make it rain, make it rain. And so, and um, anyways, and so he went and he, he bought his pool. But when he felt, when he felt his, his heart, beginning to decide, I don't know that I want to do this anymore. I don't know that it's worth it. He began to speak out loud. That pool is going to feel so good. It is going to feel so good. He climbed that ladder day one for a pool. He climbed the ladder the afternoon for a pool. He climbed the ladder the next days for a pool. And he could have got down and climbed down the ladder and got him a Gatorade. And his she-she would have taken good care of him and told us to leave that boy alone. And she would have slipped him money for the pool. And he didn't even, didn't even know that at seven years old. And, uh, but he, he's, he piloted his soul, and I was so, I was so proud of him. We've got to be able to, to learn to do that. And when we look at this, at this psalm, it says that, the, that I will yet praise you from the, from the land of the Jordan to Mount Hermon and to Mount Mizra. And we're going to have just a little Bible study this morning. And, and if you're not familiar with the land of Jordan, the land is, of Jordan is the land around the Jordan River. And when the people of of God, the Israelites came out of Egypt. They were headed towards the promised land and they get to the river Jordan and they ended up settling both sides of the Jordan River. Two tribes on one, ten going on all in full. And the Jordan River cut right through the middle of right there where the people of God were settled. And so the Jordan River here says, I will, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan. It's being right 
in the middle of God's will. It's right in the middle of all that God promised, all that God gave you. And there are times we need to remember what God has promised and what he has given us. And we need to hang on to that. He says, I'm going to praise you about what you've promised and what you have given. And I'm going to hang on to that. And he says, you know what? And then I'm also going to praise you from Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was the highest peak in Israel. Mount Hermon is, is just over 10,000 feet, which is short for a mountain. But it was tall enough that it has snow on it most of the year. And in that dry climate, that, that cold made a huge difference. Because as the winds would come across, they would have the, the, the moisture in them and they would get cooled down and it would create dew and it would create some rainfall that, that took care of the rest of the land. That Mount Hermon was, was pivotal, pivotal piece of geography. The snow melt would come down and it would feed the springs. It would seep into the fissures and, and feed the springs below. And all of the springs and stuff that bubbled up, get, their, their water came from Mount Hermon. In fact, Mount Hermon is a place where they believe was where the Mount Transfiguration was, where Jesus was transformed into his glorified body there with some of his disciples. And this represents the, the high points in our life, the, the, the places that have been pivotal for us. And, and we need to have those because those moments will feed some of our other moments if we walk in remembrance of what God has done. If we walk in remembrance of it, they, were, they will remind us of it. But not only does Mount Hermon as a place of remembrance and a place of joy, but it's also Mount Mizra. Mount Mizra is only mentioned this one time in all of Scripture. It's not some big amazing place. In fact, Mizra means petty or small. So this is Mount Small or Mount Molehill or the little stuff. So there's these big things in our life and there's the promises and the, and the provision of God and then there are these little things that seem petty to everybody else. But I know it was a big deal. God, I know you met me there. God, I remember in that moment when I was so frustrated and I just I felt your peace come in and I was able to move through my day. Nobody else would understand how big of a deal that was. It seemed petty to everybody else, but I know you were there for me. And those moments, it says, I will remember you about the big moments. I'll remember your promises and your provision. And I'll remember even the little things that you've done in my life. And that is what I will encourage myself with. We need to be able to step into that and to be able to do that. And again, in Psalm 43... Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I'll put my trust in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. This morning, we just sang together. When my mind says I'm not good enough, God, you're enough for me. There are times when our minds will begin to speak. And I love the title of that song. We sing it in the song that is coming out like an echo. There are times when everything begins to roll around in our minds and our right, we need to begin to let them echo out of our mouths. Let what God has say come in and echo right out of our lips and come out. Psalm 62 verse 5 says, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. So in this, not only do we need to speak to our hearts, but we need to remind your heart of all God's blessings. Psalm 116 verse 7 says, Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. 
I love the way the message puts this. It says, God takes the side of the helpless. And when he was at the end of my rope, he saved me. I said to myself, relax and rest. God has showered you with blessings. In Psalm 103, verse 1, says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost beings. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. This is again him speaking to his heart. If we're going to take care of our heart, we have to be willing to speak to our heart. If you want to get some more information on this, our Health and Healing podcast, which what the, the cover art to be flashed up here on the screen, the screen right quick. Uh, Pastor Steve and Lori uh, did five episodes on health and healing. And episode five in particular gets into this on just on speaking and just the power of our words and, and, what, and saying what God has had to say about this, and we see in First Samuel, um, chapter thirty, Samuel uh, David is at a low, low, low point. He has come back from a battle. Him and his men come back home to Ziklag. When they get there, all their families have been taken. Their stuff has been taken, and their places burned. It's it's terrible. I tell you what, nobody, no soldier wants to show up and find out that a group of enemy soldiers has taken their wife alive. No husband wants to find out that his wife and his children have been taken alive. There is no good plan for them to take their children and wives alive. Their place has been burned and the, these guys are tired after their journey. And they have just begin to weep. The scriptures say these soldiers, these hardened, mighty soldiers weep until they don't have power to cry anymore. And they get so mad and so upset with David that his men are going to kill him. They talk of stoning David. And David in that place, when everybody else's soul turns against him, David turns his heart towards God and he begins to speak to himself and encourage him. Verse 6 says, Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was, <coughs> was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The King James Version, old school King James Version says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. We have to get used to speaking to our souls because sometimes there's going to be something that sideswipes you in life and it's going to try to cut things out from under you. And sometimes even the people around you aren't going to stand with you anymore. And that's where you have to grab a hold and we encourage ourselves in the Lord. You keep reading the story and David gets one of his greatest victories on the hills of this. He rallies some of the guy. They take off and they end up and they have one of their greatest victories and they get everybody back. They get all the family members back. And there's a beautiful place of restoration. But they would have just stayed there and, and brought a death instead of getting their families back had David not encouraged himself in the Lord. So our bottom line this morning is, is your heart hears what your heart says. It hears it. Is shaped by it. So let's begin 
There's no condemnation with this. We're not, we won't want to turn into the confession police and all that. What I want you to begin to do is be intentional. Be mindful. There's, it's an indicator of what's happening in your heart. Be mindful of it, but also use it as an activator to begin to step into the life that God's called us to live and to grow and to have our hearts be healthy. Because a healthy heart is about the life of God in us showing the life of God through us. That's what this is all about, is letting our hearts be healthy. Because God, has, in, in all his love, and in, in who, what Jesus has done in our lives, has changed everything. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.